We're going to do something a, a little bit different over the next few weeks. We're going to do a series on the book of Philippians, four chapters in four weeks with four different preachers. How's that going to work? We don't actually know. We'll see. <laughs> you tell us afterwards if it does. Uh, it will be helpful that, uh, that we're here. No, it gives us an opportunity to have a continuity, but a difference. So I'd like to start with uh, Philippians chapter 1. Start at the very beginning. Uh, this is bad. It's a long weekend, right? <laughs> we should all be on holiday. Uh, by the way, Barrett, I will be on holiday for the next couple of weeks. So that's why I'm giddy like this. We'll be away. Uh, the first week we won't actually be away, but our uh, kids are coming over to join with us uh, from Melbourne, which will be fun. Uh, Back to uh, Philippians, chapter 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, and the overseers or elders and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every, upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. One of the key themes in Philippians is joy, unquenchable joy. So my title of this series is Unquenchable Joy, the antidote for fear and anxiety. We'll see if that follows through for the next four weeks. So the guys who are preaching, Johan and Steve and Taryn Brown, who's, who's on holiday. Yes. Verse 18 of chapter 1. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Verse 25. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Christ Jesus by my coming to you again. He's actually talking about joy but when you understand the background, it's a more amazing. Paul's actually writing this from prison. He's been in prison in Rome, so he's writing from prison. Now, prison wasn't a real nice place. Okay, It's not like we often picture when we see jails or prisons here. It wasn't clean. It wasn't heated. It wasn't comfortable. It was terrible. And he's writing this from prison to a church that was started in prison. Paul was actually in prison when, he, when this church got started. Turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Or look at the overhead behind me. Acts chapter 16 from verse 9 says... Uh, in a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, he immediately he sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called him to preach the gospel to them. So Paul's call 
was from God. He's responding in obedience to God. And then from verse 12, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony, and we were staying in the city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. They're going out to the riverside because his normal pattern was to go to the synagogue, but there wasn't a synagogue in Philippi. So where the Jews would gather to pray was at the river. So he goes there. Uh, Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us, and she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshiped God, and God opened her heart to heed the things Paul was spoken by Paul. So she was probably a Jew, and God opened her heart to hear the gospel. And when she and her husband were baptized, she begged us, saying, if you've judged me faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. She persuaded us. And it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. The girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High, who proclaimed to us the way of salvation. That doesn't sound so bad. But it was probably done in a very sarcastic way, because this she did for many days, and Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. And when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged him into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men... Being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. Now, they weren't actually trouble the city. You ever realize that the enemy's a liar? They weren't troubling the city. They had actually just interrupted their income stream. Not the whole city. They teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. Again, a lie. Then the multitude rose up against, uh, together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods, And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Okay, just get the picture. We can read through it. They're there. They're sharing the gospel because of the call of God. These guys actually then lie about them, and the magistrates beat them with rods. That's not good. And throw them in jail with a charge not to lose them. So they put them in the inner jail and put them in stocks. So they've been beaten with rods. They're in the. You know what it's like when you're in stocks? You're chained up. Now, that's not comfortable, but think about what do you do when you have to go to the bathroom? You go. So it's not a nice place. You're getting the, the picture. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. How in the world do you do that? How in the world do you sing and pray in a place like that? Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. What a great picture. And the keeper of the prison, awakened from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, that's a good supposition. 
If you're in jail, that's not very comfortable, and there's an earthquake, and your chains fall off, and the doors open, what do you do? You leave. This must be God. But they didn't. Why? Because they weren't controlled by the circumstances, but by the Spirit. So the keeper of the prison, uh, supposing they left, drew his sword about to kill himself because had he lost his prisoners, he would have been killed. He would have been put to death because he failed in the charge that he was given to keep them. And Paul called with a loud voice, do yourself no harm for we are all here. And he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. He took them that very night and washed their stripes. Immediately he and all his family were baptized. Wonderful story. That's how this church got started. So Paul in Philippians, a number of years later, is writing back to this church. Paul's in jail again. I won't go into that. It's just like, does this guy just always end up in jail? He's in jail, and it must have reminded him, while he was in jail, it reminded him of of the other time, and so he writes to the Philippians. And he writes with how much joy he has. If ever circumstances didn't make for joy, these were it. In fact, if ever circumstances made for worry and anxiety, this was it. Paul would be full of worry. How would you think? You're in jail. You're in the stocks. You've been beaten. Now this is later on. He's in jail again. Doesn't know what's going to happen. Yet he's writing with all this joy. How do you rejoice in the midst of circumstances? How do you pray and worship? What we want to see is that it's not the circumstances that determine our joy. For many of us, it is. For many of us, circumstances rob our joy. Circumstances cause us to be worried and anxious. But what I want to share with you this morning is that joy in Jesus isn't based on the circumstances. A couple years ago, we were, Mary and I were part of the leadership of a church in Denver. And in God, a number of circumstances changed, and we changed leaders, and we felt that the other leader needed to get the salary. So all of a sudden, we, after a number of years, had no salary. And so we sold our house, and we moved in with our kids. And if ever there were circumstances that made for anxiety, that would have been it. We have no income. How are we going to get by? What are we going to do? Is there something I can do? Can I go get a job? And God just kept saying no. Now, he was faithful. He provided. But I want to tell you that we learned something. That you don't have to be a thermometer. A thermometer responds to the temperature. But you can be a thermostat. A thermostat sets the temperature. 
thermostat is that thing on the wall that, that you say, okay, I want it to be 20 degrees, and you set the temperature. A thermometer just simply responds to whatever the temperature is, if it's hot or cold. And for many of us, our lives become thermometers, and we just respond to the circumstances around us. If things are good, we're happy, and if things are bad, we're not. And we just go with, with whatever's happening. But in Jesus, we need to learn that we can actually be the thermostat and set the temperature. Now, an aside here, for those of you who have children, especially as they reach their teen years, you'll quickly learn that if you respond to them as a thermometer, your home is going to be a mess. But if you remain even and set the temperature, you actually bring stability. So this applies to more than just our joy. So, if joy doesn't come from circumstances, where does it come from? I'm glad you asked, because that's the question. Finding unquenchable joy. First, it comes from Jesus. In Philippians 1, Paul writes, bondservants of Jesus Christ. He says, we're found in Jesus. We're part of what he's doing. Paul knew that he was called of God to go to, to Philippi even when he got thrown into jail. He was still obeying God. Probably wasn't what he expected. Psalm sixteen eleven. It says, in your presence is fullness of joy. What I want you to understand this, for yourself, but also for your family and friends, without Jesus, you will look to circumstances for joy. You have no other option. But the problem is you then end up trying to control the circumstances and everything that happens around you. If my joy comes from circumstances, I better control these things. So pretty soon, you're trying to, to dictate everything that happens. None of us ever do that, right? Those of us who do realize that that gets really tiring. It's really tough to control the, the circumstances. But in Jesus, something happens. Is that? It just keeps going. Uh, it just needs to be extended. We'll get that. It's new. How do you like the other screen so you can actually see? That's new as well. Appreciate uh, Tim and Johan who spent a lot of hours here yesterday setting everything up so it almost works. No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't, couldn't pass it up. No, they're, they're wonderful. You didn't expect me to be too nice, did you? See, Jesus in who he is, in his very presence, is joy. Why? Because that's who he is. That's how in praise and prayer, in the middle of the night after being beaten with rods and thrown in jail... They could see the presence of God. 
Why? Because they know, hey, in Jesus' presence is joy. But it's also peace. Matthew 14, verse 27. Sorry, John 14, verse 27. Just want to see if you're awake. Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Chapter 15, from verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, and you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. It's hard to get our heads around, but actually when we come into the presence of God, he gives us his peace, and his joy. And it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. How many of you had a bad week this week? Or how many of you have overcome difficult things? Or maybe you haven't overcome them. <laughs> You've just been going through it. See, the problem with that is that worry is a deceptive imitation for prayer. We think, I'm thinking about this, and what am I going to do? And you might even be telling God, God, this is the problem, and da 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 and, and what about this, and what about this, and what about this, and what about this, and this could happen, and pretty soon it gets bigger. How many of you find that worry is often, well, it's about 75% of the time, it's about stuff that never happens? It's not saying, Lord, I'm coming into your presence. I'm getting my eyes off the problem and onto Jesus. And Jesus can fill me with his peace. Jesus can fill me with his joy. That's why I say worry is a deceptive imitation for prayer. A lot of times we think by worrying we're actually praying and you're not. You've got your eyes focused on the problem. Uh, Isaiah 26 verse 2, which is it? in the notes, but it just jumped in here. It says, I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on him. Talk about God. That word for mind there is different than the, the word normally used in the Hebrew. It actually is a word for our creative imagination. I will keep him in perfect peace whose creative imagination is fixed on God. Not the what-ifs. See, you have this thing. It is creative imagination. If this happens, oh, what if I wake up tomorrow and I'm not well in it? And, and, and what if I can't go to work? And what if I lose my job? And what if I can't pay my house payment? And what if I can't buy food? And pretty soon, worry just grows and grows and grows and grows. And our creative imagination gets caught up in this. The what-ifs. He says, I will keep him in perfect peace whose creative imagination is fixed on Jesus. Fix my eyes on him, the author and finisher of faith. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Fixing my eyes on him, seeing him, seeing his goodness, seeing the, the covenant that he has with us. You still with me? Unquenchable joy is found in him. So the answer is very simple. Spend time in his presence. 
devil doesn't want you to do that. And so he has all these distractions. Music, TV, movies, activities, things you can do. All these things to keep us so busy that we can't get into his presence. And if you understand, that's the very reason Jesus came. The, the picture of the curtain in the temple between the outer court, uh, sorry, the, the holy place and the holy of holies. Holy of holies was where God dwelt. And no one could go in there. The priests could go into the outer court but, and into the holy place, but not into the inner presence of God. Once a year, a priest would go in and they would put bells on the bottom of his robe and tie a rope to his ankle. Because when he went through the curtain, if there was any sin, he would die. And so if they didn't hear the tinkling, nobody could go in and get him. If they didn't hear the tinkling, they'd pull the rope to get his dead body out of the Holy of Holies. And Jesus comes and rips that curtain in half and says, we have access to the very presence of God, the, probably the greatest benefit we were saved, not just so that we would be holy, but that we could come into God's presence, and the devil tries to rob us. And then we live with worry and anxiety. And all we have to do is come into his presence. And you know what? You can do that, even if it's midnight in jail and you're in the stocks. It's not based on where you are. It's based on where he is. Isn't that wonderful? So, joy is found in Jesus, but it's also found in partnership with Jesus in what he's doing. Back over to Philippians. Paul says this, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. One of the, part of his rejoicing is their fellowship in the gospel. There's something about us being a part of what God's doing. There's something about us stepping out in faith and sharing what God's saying or praying for somebody that in itself brings a joy. A number of years ago, we were part of a church in California, and we took a team of about 20, I think there were 27 in the team, to Brazil. We were involved in uh, helping with a work in Brazil. Mary and I had been part of Youth with a Mission years before, and we were good friends with the couple who led the Youth with a Mission in Brazil. So we went down there, and they had this base, but they had no money, and they were trying to build a building to house people. So we took this team down there with some money to buy the materials to help build this facility. So our team is down there, 27 of us, uh, they paid to go. They're sleeping on the floor, concrete floor, eating almost nothing and working their tail end off building this building and they just laughed the whole time. It was just such a joy. Again, circumstances would say, no. But there's something of the grace of God that comes when we're partnering with him. There's something of the supernatural empowering, the supernatural enabling when we partner with him that brings us joy. 
And then lastly, joy is found in the anticipation of his return. The anticipation of Jesus' return. Because the bottom line is he's coming someday. And even if I die, I get to go be with him. Back to Philippians, verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's his return. Verse 10. That you may approve the things which are excellent, and you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Chapter 2, verse 16. Holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. There's something in Paul's anticipation of Jesus' return. Chapter 3, verse 20. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then chapter 2, most of you know this. Sorry, chapter 1 and verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So he's basically saying, I get to be a part of what God's doing and that's wonderful. But to be with him is even better. So what does that mean? It means this. Are you anxious or fearful? Has your joy been robbed by circumstances? Or someone you know? It's because it's not just about what God does in us, but it's also about what God does through us. You need to hear the word for yourself, but you also need to hear it in how can I minister life to those who are anxious and worried? If you try and change their circumstances, you won't change anything. Because you can't control all the circumstances. That's usually what we do. We see someone who's worried about something and we want to come alongside. So we think maybe we can change the circumstances. But changing the circumstances doesn't bring joy. Because you can't always change the circumstances. The answer isn't change circumstances. The answer is Jesus. So I introduce them to Jesus. Let me ask you, I felt God say this to me this morning. Have you lost your partnership with Jesus for the gospel? And why did I say, share that? I just felt God say there's someone here who you've lost your partnership with Jesus for the gospel. Ah, you still believe. But if someone asked you point blank, are you walking with Jesus and you were honest, you'd have to say no. Yeah, I still believe, but yeah, it's, I put him on the back burner. I'm pursuing something else. My focus is something else. And God's just saying, you're never going to live in joy and peace. That's the lie of the enemy. Would you bow your head?
Don't fall asleep on me. So if you get comfortable, and I could see that happening. But I want you to just take a moment. It's the Holy Spirit who leads us in truth. Let me ask you, have you been anxious? Have you been focused on situations and circumstances? Can you just release those to the Lord right now? Can you just say, God, I trust your faithfulness. See, when Paul and Silas were worshiping, singing hymns and praying in prayer, they didn't know at that point that there was going to be an earthquake and their chains were going to fall off. They weren't praying in anticipation of something. They were just worshiping and praying because of who Jesus is. And then Jesus broke in and he did change the circumstances. But that wasn't the, the reason. They didn't have this, oh, well, if I do this, then something will happen. They just loved Jesus. Back to the word this morning, being disenfranchised. If that's happened to you, can I encourage you to release it to Jesus and get your eyes back on him? Jesus did not reject you. Though maybe you've gone through circumstances that were hurtful but at the hand of other people. People are still people and they always will be. And that's why it's not what people say and do that determines it's what Jesus does. See, the circumstances around us can be people's opinion or people's words. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. But right now, can we just say, okay, God, I release these things. And I receive your joy and your peace. It's almost like a reaching out and receiving, grabbing. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. It's not as the world gives. The world's, it's all based on circumstances, but his is something supernatural. And he can actually give peace. All we have to do is receive it. He's offering it today. Will you receive it? Will you turn your eyes off the circumstances? Lord, we just stand humbled and amazed at who you are. The heavens and the highest heavens can't contain you. You're beyond our comprehension, yet you choose to be in covenant with each one of us. Lord, we just are humbled, overwhelmed. As we get our eyes on you, we realize, Father, you said, your word says that he who did not withhold his only son but gave him up for us, will he not also freely give us all things in Christ? Lord, you freely give us peace and joy. You freely give us. And we just receive this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand with me?